Take your Bible with me today and find your place at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read some verses that we read last week. This is the second part of last week's message. As we're talking about lighting up the darkness. We're going to read these verses again. It never hurts to read these verses twice. and uh, We're going to come back to them and look through them again in a few minutes. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Lord, lead us now into your word. I pray that you'll help us to understand what you're saying and cause us, Lord, to be the light that you intend us to be in a very dark world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Al Bracca worked as a corporate bond trader in New York City. His office was on the 105th floor of Tower One in the World Trade Center. A week after the tower was hit and collapsed, Al's body was found in the rubble that remained. And according to his wife, Jeannie, Al hated his job. He couldn't stand the environment. She said it was a world completely out of sync with his Christian values, but he wouldn't quit. Hear those words, but he wouldn't quit. He was convinced that God wanted him to stay there and to be a light in that darkness. The Brockos learned that Al had indeed been ministering to people during the attacks of September 11th, 2001. Reports trickled in from friends and acquaintances Some people on the 105th floor had made a last call or had sent emails to a loved one saying that a man was leading people in prayer. A few few of them referred to him by name, by the name Al. When Al realized that they were trapped in the building and would not be able to escape, he shared the gospel with a group of 50 co-workers and he led them in prayer. Think about that for a moment. There is a man who, in the midst of a very, very dark moment, understood that God had placed him there to be a light. We live in a world that is like what Paul was describing here. It's crooked and perverse. It's a world that's filled with this kind of darkness. Think about it for a moment. There's the darkness of fear and anxiety that grips so many hearts. There's the darkness of addictions, whether drug or alcohol. There's the darkness of abuse that's taking place. There's the darkness of murders and mayhem. There's the darkness that surrounds us in morality. There's the darkness that is everywhere. But God has placed you and me in this world to be lights in the midst of that darkness. He intends for us to shine as bright lights. It may not be that we like where we are. It may not be that we like what we see. But it is that God has placed us here for such a time as this to be his light in the midst of this generation. 
The Apostle Paul is talking about that very thing. At the end of verse 15, he says about these Philippian Christians that they are shining as lights in the world. And he says that that world is a world that is crooked and perverse. It's a world that is very dark. And by way of the Philippians, he's encouraging every one of us to recognize and to see ourselves as the light in this dark, dark world. He does that by giving us uh, three different thoughts that I want to draw to your attention. Two of them we looked at in the previous message. One of them we'll focus on today. First of all, he says we have to work it out. If we're going to be a light in this dark world, we have to work it out. We have to work out our salvation. That doesn't mean work for. That doesn't mean work to keep. But it means what God has started in you, you let God work it through you and out of you. You cooperate with God and let God help you to obey him. Actually, the phrase work it out is a synonym for the word in verse 12 that goes just before it, the word obeyed. It means that we want to live our lives in obedience to Jesus Christ and allow the salvation that has changed us internally to change us externally so that God can see, God can be seen through us. And when we do that, then the light is seen because we are, we are showing our salvation to others. We are showing Christ to others. Then he says to take it up. He says in verse 14 and 15, verses 14 and 15, he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. He says, talk it up. Rather than talking things down, rather than running things down, talk it up. Talk up your faith. Talk up your Bible. Talk up your church. Talk up the ways of God and the work of God. Stop running it down. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of families that are losing their children because when they go home, they run down everything about God. They run down his church. They run down the people of the church. They run down the scripture. They run down the sermon. They run down everything they can run down. And their kids are listening, and they don't have any respect for it. They don't, therefore, have any respect for it. We've got to talk it up. If we're going to be lights in this world, we can't just be the negative ones. Yes, there are negative things. Sometimes we have to point out, but more than the negative, we've got to see the positive, the, the light that God has placed in this world. And as we talk up these things, we become a light. But today specifically, we, we want to look at this third thought that comes from this passage about being a light. And, and I put it in a little phrase that goes like this, see it through. As you work it out and you talk it up, you've got to see it through, meaning that you've got to persevere meaning that you got to be resilient, meaning that whatever you have begun, you're going to complete. Whatever you started, you're going to finish. You're going to keep moving forward, and you're not going to give up. We used to have an old word. We called it backsliding. Uh, today, we would call it falling away. I, I will not fall away. I will not backslide I will be more committed every day to Jesus than I was the day before. If you're not more committed to Jesus, if your family's not more committed to Jesus today than they were ever before, then something is wrong. We're not being the light in our society when we fall away. And please understand, there's a lot of people who start well, but they don't finish well. A lot of people who begin following Jesus, great crocodile tears, come to an altar, make a big decision, and are there till their emotions run out. And when their emotions run out, then they run away, and you can't hardly find them anymore. Or they think that Christianity has lost its impact. It's only lost its impact because you stopped looking at Christ and stayed focused on Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says here in verse 16, holding fast the word of life. That's, that's seeing it through, holding it fast, seeing it through. 
being persistent, being resilient, being one who refuses to quit or to give up or to give in, somebody who presses forward even when it's not easy to press forward, somebody who will not surrender and will not give up, somebody who even whether they, whether they feel like it or they don't feel like it, they keep following Jesus. Because following Jesus is not just about what you feel at any given moment. Following Jesus is about what Jesus has done for you in paying the sin penalty for your life. Maybe I can illustrate it by giving to you the examples of two or three other people that show us what I'm talking about. And we'll begin with the greatest example there is, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, the one who came from heaven to earth, the one who was taken and unjustly tried, the one who in the garden of Gethsemane went further into the garden, and the Bible says he sweat drops of blood. The blood vessels just beneath the skin broke under the pressure and the strain of what he was facing. And oozing through uh, the pores of his skin came that blood like, like sweat drops running down his face. That's the kind of pressure that Jesus was facing as he looked into that cup that he was about to drink. They took him and nailed him to a cross, the most horrendous possible death anyone could ever die. The indignity of it all. The shame of it all. And yet Jesus hung there. The pain was bad, but worse than the pain was that he took your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world upon himself, and he paid the penalty in our place. And Jesus died a death he didn't deserve to die, but he died a death vicariously in our place so that we didn't have to die that death when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was taking the separation that we rightfully deserve on himself. And Jesus hung there on that cross. How in the world did he ever get through that? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, listen to the words, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the Father or the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear that? Jesus saw it through. What would have happened if Jesus had said while hanging on the cross, I'm going to call 10,000 angels and let them set me free? What if Jesus had said, I'm no longer willing to be the sacrifice for mankind's sin? What if Jesus hadn't seen it through? There would have been no salvation for mankind, but Jesus saw it through. He endured the suffering because of the joy that was set before him. He despised the shame, but he endured it. And he pressed through it. And that's what Paul is saying. Holding fast the word of life. You have to see it through. You have to persevere. You have to be resilient. You have to have a spirit that says, I will not quit. I will not give up. We're raising a generation that's so soft that when it gets hard, they don't understand that the Christian life is about being a soldier in a war. And we have to fight the battles. I don't mean with bullets and guns and bombs. I'm talking about the spiritual battle. We have to fight the spiritual battle and we press through those difficult moments, those moments when we feel the pressure rising on us as if the blood vessels beneath our skin are about to burst. We press through. Jesus is the ultimate example of seeing it through. So was the Apostle Paul an example of seeing it through. It's hard for us to even imagine all that the Apostle had to endure. 
He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that he's in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one, he says. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often. And then he continues this cycle here. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, of my own countrymen, of Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren. And he says, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often. Sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. You hear what he says? Paul was faced with all of these insurmountable odds. Most of us would have crumbled under the pressure that the Apostle Paul had to face. And yet, here's what we know about Paul. When he writes this book of Philippians, this letter to the Philippians... He is under arrest in Rome. He doesn't know whether he's going to be a martyr or not, but we know history. So we know that he's going to be released on this occasion. And three to four years later, he's going to be arrested again and held in Rome again. And this time, Nero is going to behead him and he's going to die as a martyr. What does the Apostle Paul say? I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. See it through. Here it comes. I have finished my course. Paul says, in essence, what I'm trying to summarize for you in one little phrase, he saw it through. He saw it through. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. There were difficult moments. There were tough times. There were times, I'm sure, that he wondered, what's happening in my life? But he didn't give up. He pressed on. He kept following Jesus. When the weight of all of the world was against him, everybody stood against him. Nobody accepted him and received him. He refused to not be faithful not be persistent, not be resilient. I think of the Apostle John as another example of what I'm talking about, seeing it through. I think of the Apostle John, the last of the apostles to die. He died in the late uh, first century, in the 90s, first century. The last of the apostles to die. And he writes in those final three letters, first, second, and third John, something that Every parent, I'm sure, has probably read and thought to themselves. In third John, verse three, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He says something very similar. One, one uh, chapter, one book before, 2 John chapter 1, well, it's just, it's only one chapter. 2 <laughs> John verse 2. He says something very similar. But he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, we first of all hear that and we think, yeah, that's, that's our children. There should be no greater joy. Moms and dads, grandmoms and granddads, There should be no greater joy than to know that your children are walking with God and living for God. I thank God when I think of my children and they're living for God and they're honoring the Lord with their lives. They're going on in the truth. But he wasn't talking about physically physically born children, his own. He was talking about his spiritually born children, those that he had led to faith in Christ and those that he had mentored and those that he had cared for. And the Apostle John stops and he thinks about those people and he says, there is no greater joy than when I see those that I've led to Jesus, that I've mentored in the faith, that they see it through. They just keep walking with Jesus. They just keep going on. They refuse to give up. They just keep moving forward as God intends for every one of us to do. Listen, 
There's somebody somewhere that's about to run the white flag of surrender up. They're about to throw in the towel and quit. They're about to wonder, they're about to say to themselves, I wonder if it's worth it all anymore. And the answer, it is, the answer always is, it is always worth it. As the old hymn says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. This is not about how you feel at any given moment. This is not about whether it makes you tingle and whether you like everything that happens. This is a matter of saying, Jesus is my Savior. He is my Lord. I will see it through. I will not fall away. I will not become backslidden. I will not become indifferent. I will not lay out and lay away from. I will stay focused on and stay committed to Jesus until I see him face to face. I will press forward. He saved my soul. I will live for him every moment of every day of my life. He says here in verse 16, hold fast the word of life. Think with me for a few moments about those words, hold fast. They're the translation of a single Greek word. That word is translated in Acts 3.5 as give attention to. It's translated in 1 Timothy 4.16 as take heed to. And the word can have either a defensive aspect to it or it can have an offensive aspect to it. Think about it for a moment, the defensive aspect. If we're going to see it through, we've got to hold on to the word of life defensively. We cannot compromise the truth of the word of God. The Bible is the inspired and errant word of the living God. It's the infallible word of the living God. This is God. This is a God-breathed book. And you and I don't get to change it because the culture around us is changing. We stand for what is the truth. We hold on to. That's what he says. We're holding fast, defensively, the word of life. I saw a picture this week, and I went to the website and looked up this person. He's holding up a sign and says, if Jesus returns, kill him again. If Jesus returns, kill him again. So I went to the website to look what it says to advocate against this particular organization, to advocate against the widespread acceptance of the story of Jesus Christ as written in the Holy Bible, to reveal and expose the absurdity of supernatural claims of the scripture of the Holy Bible, to prevent the loss of human energy being wasted through religious practice resulting from the interpretation of the text of the Holy Bible to save individuals from grief and misery resulting from their acceptance of false information proselytized by the church to redirect human energy from religious practice to reason-based societal environmental efforts and on and on the list goes. And we've got a whole generation of people who says, oh, isn't that cool? What we ought to do is just sort of be understanding toward them. And maybe we should give a little bit to them. No, 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 no. We don't give anything to them. The word of the living God is entrusted to us. The truth of this book is entrusted to us. And we hold fast. We see it through. It's no, it's no good for you to say, well, I used to believe that. <laughs> I used to believe that. I can take you to denominations today that used to believe things that the Bible taught, but no longer believes those things. And I'll show you denominations that are dying on the vine. That They may have religious semblance. They may have religious ceremony. They may be going through a social kind of a gathering, and maybe they get some, some kind of meaning out of it. But the Spirit of God has long, left, long since left that place. Preachers don't get a choice to say, well, I think I'll bend this rule a little bit. 
I think I'll, I think I'll accommodate somebody with this particular aspect when the Bible speaks directly to it. We have to hold fast and not compromise. If the word of life is lost, the church will become like a black hole rather than a shining star in the world. And a lot of churches have become little more than a black hole. But it not only has a defensive aspect, it has an offensive aspect. To hold fast. Speaking evangelistically, some of your translations of the Bible will pick up on that, to hold forth. As you hold on to it, you're holding it out to others. You're holding it forth. The Word of God, in the Scripture itself, the the Gospel in the Word of God is the way of salvation for mankind, and we hold it forth. It becomes the the, the GPS system by which we find our way to God. You know, I was... uh, making a visit before the pandemic began and I put into my GPS uh, a house address. Do you, do you realize that the GPS in your phone isn't as smart as you think it is? Because I follow the directions exactly. You know, when you go past the road and it says dummy back up and you got to turn back there. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe that's just Mary in the car with me, but you know, it says, you know, you got to turn here and you got to turn there. And I was following it exactly. It brought me to the end of the paved road and took me onto a dirt road over a hill. I don't know how far I went over that hill over till I got back to a dirt road. I'm excuse me, got back to a paved road. And I ultimately found the house. I followed all the directions. I took this unbelievable route to get there and finally got there. But, you know, I'm not always so confident about the GPS that's in my phone. But you know how they used to navigate the waters in the first century, they look up at the stars, and those stars became their heavenly GPS, and they would chart their course according to those stars. What is he saying here? When he says, hold fast the word of life, he's saying, see it through. What you start, you finish. What you've begun, you don't quit. You persevere. You have resilience. You march forward. You don't give up. Just because the emotions aren't there at some given moment or just because the society around us doesn't like it or doesn't accept it, we hold it fast in a defensive way and we hold it forth in an evangelistic way like a GPS that says here is the direction and the way to God. If your children and you aren't reading the word of God, you're lost. I mean, you may be a child of the living God, but you're lost on the path. You, don't have, you have no idea where you're going. This book is God's GPS system, and we hold it forth as a light. Are you with me? You hold it forth as a light, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says, what I want to be able to do is I want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That's when our works are judged as to whether to be rewarded or not. I want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and I want to be able to say, I didn't live my life and run this race in vain because you Philippians fell away. Because you Philippians didn't see it through. Listen again, verse 16, holding fast the word of life. So, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He goes on to say, even if it means I lose my life as a martyr, I rejoice in that. If you're faithful, you see it through, and you should rejoice. Because what matters here is your faithfulness and your consistency and your marching forward. Listen, listen, if you go to a Roman school, be careful. The schools of Rome, 
that you don't come back as a Roman thinking like a Roman? Do you get my point? Be careful. Because they're always aiming at the truth of the word. They're always trying to undermine. They're trying to make you disbelieve what's in this book. You got to see it through. I remember when I was a teenager, 16, I'd been saved. I was saved at 16. And shortly after that, I got involved with a group of boys. The youth director came to us. Mike Bovey was his name. He came to us and he said, we're going to get a group of boys. We're going to take a bus, one of the church buses. We're going to go up to the skating rink. It was about 10 miles away from us. We're going to go up to the skating rink every Friday night. This is wintertime. We're going to take hot chocolate. We're going to have music. And we're going to take literature with us. And, and I want a group of boys who are willing to, to, to commit to go with us. When the kids come out of the skating rink, we're going to speak to them. We're going to invite them to come over to the bus. We're going to offer them hot chocolate. We're going to give them literature about the church. If we get an opportunity, we're going to share the gospel with them. If they're cold, we'll put them on the bus. And we'll keep them warm on the bus. We did that. I volunteered. I was one that said, okay. There's a group of about eight of us, eight or nine of us. Well, the winter passed and it got to be spring and the warmer weather and the longer days. And there were other things I thought of I could be doing on Friday. And I started missing. I started missing those moments. And I'll never forget the Wednesday night, that late spring that the youth director, Mike Bovey, took me out to his car after the Wednesday night service and set me down. There was a, it was a, uh, a uh, nightlight right above us, right above the car, shining right down in the front of the car. And I got in on one side and he got in on the other. And for the next few minutes, probably 30 or more minutes, he reamed me out. About being unfaithful, undependable, unreliable, not seeing it through. I remember going away from that night saying to myself, I might not be able to do what other people can do, but I can be a person you can count on and you can depend on who will be faithful. That's what we're talking about. Not that I'm the example. I'm talking about the illustration. We're talking about seeing it through. So many people sign up, but they don't show up. So many people get started, but they don't continue. And the Apostle Paul says, if we're going to be a light, we've got to work it out, work out our salvation so others can see it. We've got to talk it up. We've got to talk positively about the things of God and the ways of God and the church of God and the word of God. And we've got to see it through. What we've begun, we've got to complete. Whether we feel like it at any given moment or not, we press through and we keep following the Lord no matter how hard it gets or how fierce the opposition we take encouragement from the word of God and Jesus Christ to keep going till we see him face to face. Whenever I think about this kind of seeing it through, I always think about a little clip that comes out of a movie that I saw uh, many years ago now. 2006, I think, is when it came out, Facing the Giants. There's a little clip about a football team, a coach has gotten his life right with the Lord. He's gotten in tune with Christ. And now he's trying to turn his team around. Never had a winning season. He's trying to turn, turn his team around. But in his turning the team around, he gives an important lesson about seeing it through. When the weight on your back seems like it's more than you can carry. And your muscles are straining and desperately want to quit. I ask you the words that the coach asked that player. Can Jesus count on you? Can Jesus count on you? Or will you give up? Will you give in? 
Will you give away? Or will you hold fast the word of life? See it through. See it through. It will be worth it all when you see Jesus.